Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Right, we are back here at Talking Comics, and we are joined by a very special returning guest, uh, writer of Green Wake, Grim Leaper, uh, Debris, and Peter Panzerfaust, Curtis Weep. Thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, no problem. I think it's actually been like almost exactly a year. Yeah, it's been like a year and a couple weeks. I actually looked at that today to see how long it's been. Yeah, the last time you were on the show, Peter Panzerfaust hadn't even come out yet. Yeah, that's right. We were just doing the uh, the marketing train on that one. Yeah. So, um, how have you been, man? So I've been good. Uh, I've recently packed up my car and drove eighteen hours to get my get my ass out to Vancouver, and I've been here for about a month now, and just kind of settling in and starting a new job, and yeah, busy. How you liking the Cove? I don't know. <laughs> what the cove? Is that the college? I just meant no. I just no, made it up. That's what the Bobby called it because he's we're American. Yeah, he says Vancouver, so I said the cove. I was just making it up. It was pretty good. You yeah, get that on a T-shirt. Bad, right? I like Come it. On. I like it. Come on. I think I think I refrain from using that term just okay. to appear like a complete moron yeah. here. But anyway, um... <laughs> the cove. Don't do it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um... It's been really busy. I, I didn't actually start uh, working here until like early January, so I had basically a month to just like meet people and get settled in and get caught up a little bit on my own personal projects, which have been, as some people know, a little bit late <laughs> <laughs> the last few months. But we're back on track. Nice, nice. Is that because the you let that uh, the, the the Schuster Award go to your head? Yeah, I just I figured someone else would just write it for me, <laughs> but. Didn't happen, so now we're a little bit behind. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So, um, partying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just drinking so much that you could not write a word. That's pretty well, what I do. Well, we know that, yeah. Stephanie. We follow you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of Peter Panzerfaust, uh, you know, um, issue eight uh, came out last month, right? And issue nine is coming out this month. Yeah, issue nine comes out. I think on the thirteenth of February. Okay, all right. So February thirteenth. Um, but issue eight was uh, kind of a, a a big issue for you guys, right? You introduced a, a pretty big character and uh, so, and a pretty good jumping on point as well. Why don't you tell people a little bit about uh, issue eight? Uh, so issue eight was um, our first reveal. Well, we had we introduced two characters actually that hadn't really had made their full appearance yet in the story. Um, in the beginning of the issue, we introduced Nana, um, which hadn't really been addressed yet in the story. And then we also introduced Hook for the very first time in his full full Captain Hook form, our version of the Captain Hook form. So he had actually been in the story already, but um, as people will find out in issue nine, uh, Peter may have been responsible <laughs> <laughs> for the new version of uh, that we see in issue eight. 
Um, and, uh, you know, how has the reception been of that issue and, and the series in general? I mean, obviously, it's interesting because we talked to you before, last time we talked to you before the book came out. So over the, the eight issues, how has how's it been going? Well, it's been, I think we're, issue eight seemed to have caught a lot of fire uh, as far as, like, publicity went. Uh, we managed to get... Um, the issue eight article with USA Today in the actual newspaper, and I've I've done things, um, I've done like interviews and stuff with them before, but they've always just appeared on the uh, on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, it was they had a last minute cancellation, um, and they ran that article, and then a few days later, it, it appeared in the Huffington Post. And then I've just been seeing on forums, people have been saying that they've been calling their store and all the stores that they've called have just been like, yeah, we be, we've been getting a ton of calls about this book out of nowhere. Um, so I don't know, maybe maybe it was one that tip, is kind of tipped it and, and things are going to happen. But I mean, our sales have been okay, but the reviews have been really good. And, and especially issue eight where we, you know, we introduced Hook, it was probably our best reviewed one yet, actually. And um I actually feel issue nine is even a little bit better, so I'm I'm interested to see what the reception to that one is. That's great. I mean, it's great to hear. I I know it's it, it's probably tough to get a foothold in you know um, in the such a crowded comic book world. So it's great to hear that you guys have gotten a little bit of a, a an in with people. Um. Uh. So Steve, you have any questions for Curtis? I have a I have a little bit of a weird question. It just okay. popped into my head right. because I was uh. I don't know if this is stepping over a line, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> um, you're speaking about sales of Peter Panzerfaust. I noticed um, they're like every so often there are comic books that go on sale online that go for like an exorbitant amounts of money. Um, the early early issues of Peter Panzerfaust seems to be one of those situations where I've seen like number ones going for sixty dollars, ninety dollars, like one hundred and twenty dollars. How do you like? Have you known about that, or how would that? Like, how does that make you feel to know that that people like are willing to pay that much for for a book? <laughs> uh, I like to be optimistic. I think it's because they really want to read it, but I know that's not the case. <laughs> no, but obviously there are, I, there are people willing to to go to those lengths to get it. That it's that popular. It's that good. Yeah. Well, I think I think what it is, uh, in my opinion, is that it's kind of speculative market, but. Um, I think I just saw one last week that went for $450. Yeah. So it's, it's just going out of control, but it's because we had, um, a low print run comparatively speaking, you know, like uh, saga number one was something like 60 or 70,000 copies. Whereas Peter Panzerfaust number one first printing was only, I think like 6,000 copies. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So it's, it is a rare book. And then the announcement of BBC, you know, possibly potentially turning that into a TV show, mm-hmm. Um, I think that also has driven up a bit of the demand. And then now that it's being publicized a bit more, it is a rare book that people are trying to get on board with. So there's more eyes on it now. So I think it's just all a matter of the, the timing of it. And I mean, it, it'd be nice to think that they're buying it because they, they really want to read issue one. But I mean, the trade's been out for a little while now. So um, I don't know. I mean, hopefully we, we do see an increase in the, in the trade sales because that would be that'd be really awesome. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, one of our contributors, actually, Adam Shaw, who wrote a review of uh, number eight, just had a question for you. He wanted to ask, you know, if he was a new reader, um, wh- where would you recommend jumping on to the book, um, uh, you know, to kind of get into what Peter Pan's past is? Oh, well, I mean, really, the, the first arc is it sets the tone mm-hmm. for the entire series. And I mean, you could probably jump on in the second arc. 
uh, you would it would be maybe a little bit disorienting, but you really. I feel like the first arc really defines why they're doing what they're doing and why they embrace resisting uh, the German invasion of France. Because, I mean, otherwise, it's just like, why are these kids doing this? Um, so there's a few important plot points that happen that really drive them forward into, like, you know, the heroic actions that they're doing in the second arc. So, I mean, you can pick up the trade for pretty cheap on, like, Comixology. I think it's, like, 10 bucks. Not even. It might even be cheaper than that. Um, and I mean, you can get the first, you can read the first issue for free on Comixology from what I understand. So if it's something that you enjoy, um, it's, an, it's a free read then. And then, yeah, I, I would say just start from the beginning. We're not that far into it. We're only eight issues in, so it's not that big of a commitment. I'd understand if, you know, if you just heard about Walking Dead now, that's, that's a lot to go back to, but right. uh, we're not too far in yet. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Adam also wanted to know, you know, um, how did you come to, be working with uh tyler jenkins on the book um i've actually known tyler for about five years now and uh we uh we met at the calgary comic expo in i can't remember i think it was 2007 and uh, i went there to pitch another book to a to a publisher there and then i just saw him and his wife had set up a table they just recently graduated from art school and so they were just selling prints and stuff like that and i really liked his stuff and so we ended up just emailing back and forth for a bit, and that's really where it started. We did we did an image pitch, I think that same summer, uh, a Viking story, and it just it got rejected. And and then since then we've just done little personal projects together. I'll hire him to work on some stuff for me, or he'll bring me in on a project he's working on. So we've just always worked together. Um, and this is a story we've actually been developing since like two thousand, pretty sure it's two thousand nine. Um, but we just never had the time or this, it wasn't right. We weren't excited about it yet. There were still lots of things to solidify about the story. And then, yeah, just last year we decided to, uh, well, a year or two years ago, I guess, to pitch it to Jim Valentino channel line and, uh, got picked up. So we were from then on, we were like, really like, this is the story we've been waiting to do for like three years. Wow. Okay. That's great. Um, uh, we have another listener question. He, he you know, he asked, uh, this is from Aaron Henderson Smith. He says, uh, do you have any other plans or did you have any other plans for retelling any other classic stories in uh, real world terms? Huh. I don't know. Not necessarily like fictional. Um, I wouldn't say any fiction mm -hmm. or fairy tales. I do really like blending like old mythologies like Norse, Norse, Norse mythology is a big one for me, which I have done that in some of my, like in my novel, I've included it. And, um, and then just other projects that I've worked on kind of over the years, I've always liked using mythology and reimagining it. But yeah, I, have, I wouldn't say any fairy tales that I've, that come to mind immediately. No. All right, great. Um, Bob, do you have any questions you want to? Well, I was just going to say it's related to that, you know, using the Peter Pan legend to tell a world war two story seems like the height of high concept. How did you decide to sort of blend those two together? What was the genesis of that? Well, it was, this is, like I said, Ty and I had come up with the idea a few years ago, but uh, the real genesis of it was is that we had been working on a bunch of other projects for other people and we were kind of getting tired of working on something that was directed by somebody else. We really wanted to do our own thing. And so we'd been emailing each other back and forth for about a week and Tyler had just watched um, Apocalypse Now. And so... He emailed me right after and said, I just watched it and I had this really cool idea that we do something like set in like the Vietnam War where a bunch of kids are like guerrilla fighters. He said so he's like something like the Lost Boys, uh, you know, fighting whoever. And I, I, I just emailed him back. I said, no, that's that's a terrible idea. 
Um, but it ended up that I, I think because the Vietnam War was a very politically motivated war as far as, you know, who was in the right, who was in the wrong, all that kind of stuff. We're very shades of gray. Uh, Peter Pan is not a story that's shades of gray. It's, you know, the villains, it's a black and white story. And I think World War II is something that there's not a lot of arguing about who was in the wrong in that war. Um, so yeah, so we basically, I, from there, I mean, I'd already been researching World War II for my own. I, that was just something I loved researching. And so, uh, I took that idea of like the Lost Boys and then really just started taking notes down and it it came together really quickly. A lot of the, the themes and the tones just carry over. I mean, what we're doing is a little bit darker and a little bit heavier, but all those themes of innocence and playfulness and childlike wonder changing and growing into adulthood, those all carried directly over into what we were doing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know we have a couple questions that aren't uh, Panzerfaust uh, related. Do we? Um, okay. Yeah, we do have a couple of listener yeah, questions nice. that, that are that are non Panzerfaust related. Um, uh, we uh, let's see here. Um, Robert Gall, um, he says, uh, knowing that there is essentially never. Oh, sorry, he's two part question, so I'll go back to the first part of his question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Greenwake was obviously a very personal story for you, and the fact that it got cut early probably stunk. How many issues did you have plotted out for the series that will essentially never see the light of day? And is there any way you'll try to incorporate some of these themes you didn't get to in Green Wake in any future books? <laughs> okay, so Green Wake was originally um, supposed to be a 25-issue series. And uh, basically, so we ended on issue 10 where I really had to wrap up things. I got, I think... I think I got it like an additional eight pages to wrap up 15 issues of story. So that wasn't too bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we had planned for 25 and I've told a few people this before, like friends or um, I think I've mentioned it on another uh, podcast before, but the next arc was going to actually all be about uh, Krieger, who is uh, Morley's kind of best friend in the story. And we hint at it in the end of, uh, of the series, but we never really got to fully play it out why he was there. And it was going to be all about him. And if you read the second arc, or you read the whole series, we, we were starting to show that there was going to be this this almost civil war happening within Green Wake itself, where it was, the town was going to be fractured and people stopped hiding and had to choose a side. And that was going to be all leading into the third arc. Uh, meanwhile, still building the mythology and revealing it slowly over time. So unfortunately, we never got to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, Riley and I are talking about something new, so we may be doing a project like next year that will weave a lot of those those things that we didn't weren't able to do in the story um, in Green Wake into something new. That uh, yeah, I mean, there there's just it's a very complex story. So I think yeah. <laughs> going into the next one, we'll just maybe keep it a little bit simpler so that if it we have to end it early. Uh, we don't get cut off in the middle and it, it still makes the full amount of sense that I'd always planned. Right. I mean, that kind of goes into the, the next part of Robert's question, which is knowing there's essentially never a sure thing when it comes to indie books, knowing what you know now, if you ever get a redo on something like Green Wake, is there anything you'd do differently? Uh, yeah, I would have ended at issue five. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I really would have um, because, I mean, while we had a lot of, I mean, the notes uh, and, and sketches and everything, because Riley and I lived in the same city for the first five issues, uh, and then he moved he moved to Calgary uh, right after we finished uh, wrapping number five. So, I mean, we had pages of notes and sketches about what Green Wake was and how it worked, and we were constantly building this mythology as we were doing it. 
Um, but I mean, the reality is, is that we, we never expected it to go any further than five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's a pretty, the second arc is a pretty different story. Uh, but the first one was the first arc, the first five issues was definitely much more personal to me. And, um, if I could, I would just, I would have just left it there actually, just because it, it would encapsulate everything I wanted to do with that, with that series, uh, without getting cut off in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the last thing Robert says is PS, I love green wake. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, uh, Adam, again, he had a question, he had a question actually about debris and he would, he'd like to know if the decision to make debris four issues was yours or the publisher's. And he, he said he felt like it could have, you know, gone six or eight. So, um, yeah, it was kind of the timing of it wasn't exactly right because I I really I really wanted it to be a five issue series, um, just for for timing and spacing. But unfortunately, well, fortunately for Riley, unfortunately for me, uh, he had been picked up for Bedlam. And I mean, that opportunity for that book was way too huge for him to turn down. So he just didn't have the time to do a five issue series. So, I mean, I, I did the best that I could in the four issues and, you know, I'm still happy with how it turned out. I just feel like it would have been paced a little bit, bit better with one more issue. But I mean, the, Bedlam has brought a lot of eyes to to Riley's work and that's great because he's been he has been hammering away at this industry for so long. And I just feel like it's time he gets the recognition he deserves yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, Bob, do you have any other questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, you do a lot of work in in the horror vein. So I was just wondering, do you have a favorite author or a favorite old horror film that you think has influenced what you do? Oh, you know, I I started to get into Cronenberg uh, uh, and a lot of his body horror stuff right around the time I started uh, writing Green Lake. So it, I don't know if, they, they kind of came around at the same time. Uh, so things like Videodrome and like just all this, um, the new the flesh, fly, stuff, yeah. all those really weird body horror films yeah. that he do that just really unsettle me. I, I actually don't even enjoy watching them, but it's like <laughs> watching a train wreck. You just yeah. can't pull yourself away from it. So yeah, for me, it was, um, those, those films, I don't know. They just, they stick with me and, and, and there's something really unsettling about, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the, the horror themes in that are also very psychological, which is something that I, I find far more scary than, like, you know, like the big resurgence of, like, torture porn and stuff like that. That doesn't really scare me. It's really the stuff that, that's in us that is really scary. And what Cronenberg does is he takes those things that's inside people and makes it organic and makes it um, a real thing visualized coming out of the body. So, I don't know. He's, he kind of blows my mind yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Excellent, thanks. Yeah, and actually, you mentioned in passing about the uh, the possible television show based on Peter Pan's Faust. What, what was that experience like? Like, um, how has that been for you? Well, it's the thing is, we actually we've known about this interest since this time last year. Oh. Um, when Peter Pan's Faust was announced, uh, we got we got a lot of <laughs> a lot of emails from like different. Um, film studios and, and networks and stuff, but it was basically a joint thing between uh, BBC and QT Digital that basically they they came to us with a really interesting concept, which was basically making the motion comic as a means to pitch an actual TV show. So 
at this point, the the motion comic is the only thing that's certain. Uh, what the release date is and stuff on that, I'm not entirely sure. I think they're still securing voice talent and and doing the final touches on it and actually getting um, what they're doing is actually just taking the art from the comic and then putting motion effects in the background and and action uh, in the foreground stuff like that. Uh, so I think they're still in the development. But then if that does well, depending on where they go with it, then hopefully the the TV show will happen. So when it was announced this summer. We'd already known about it for about six months, so everyone was like, you know, oh my god, this is crazy, it's amazing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we've been at it for like six months with the back and forth. And right. so at this point, it's it's really exciting, but I you kind of gotta keep your expectations in check a little bit because these things t- can take a lot of time. Right, yeah, absolutely. So I can see this as an animated series too, sort of like an Eon Flux sort of Oh, that would that be sort of so style. awesome. Like a liquid awesome. television thing. That'd be great <laughs> if they even had liquid yeah, television. Yeah, I, I think like animated or, um, yeah, even like, I don't know if it would work in a film just because it has a very episodic nature to it. Right. Um, you, I mean, you could take the concept and do something very similar and, you know, change it quite a bit. But I think as it's, if they follow kind of the, um, the world that we've created, the storylines we've created, I think just like either an animated show or a TV show would probably be the best fit for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I see it as an anime as well, kind of like a samurai champloo kind of thing. Oh, I love that show. Right? <laughs> really just a really awesome soundtrack. I don't know, that's what I that's what I picture when I when I hear animated and I think of Peter Panzerfaust immediately when I was reading it today. Uh, it's funny, some of the stuff I wanted to talk about, I forget that stuff's not even out yet, so I can't. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Your your use of Peter chasing his shadow, that that's what, what oh. drives him. I yeah. really, really, I read it earlier today, uh, really, really hit me. And I think it was issue 12, the whole beginning with, uh, I'm just going to say the beginning with the dog, uh, I thought was wonderful. So you've told- Oh, yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, that was that was one thing. One of the people, uh, I did this poll on Twitter once where somebody, I, somebody had asked me once just in private, um, you know, like what characters are coming up. I'm really excited about this character. And so I just put a tweet out saying, you know, what characters are you most looking forward to meeting in the, in the mythology? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> someone said Nana, and I was like, you know what? I'll be, uh, this is, I'm good on the record. I actually had forgot. <laughs> oh, you forgot about, <laughs> about Nana, that, really? about that character. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's not really a major character in the Peter Pan story, but it is thematically um, to the story. So, uh, that was probably back when I was still writing like issue four or five. So I already started to like work manage the framework for the second arc. Um, and I really wanted to do a scene with Nana where uh, what what's being presented could be very easily be her thoughts, but connected to the story um, of the person that, you know, left technically left her behind. And we hadn't really had a chance to see what Wendy's feelings were about her parents dying in the first arc. And so I wove all those three things together. And I was, I was really happy with that scene, uh, how it turned out. And then Tyler just did a wonderful job on it. I think it just came together so perfectly for that scene. So yeah, it's kind of a, that one has a special place in my heart too, actually. Yeah. It was very, very cinematic. Uh, that whole opening was, uh, seemed like its own little story. And it's its own little narrative, right? Right in the beginning, and then because uh, I hadn't read the book in a while, and that that's the first thing I read in a while, and it completely pulled me back in. And you know, it's got to go back on my pull list now. 
So that's, that's how that <laughs> <Right>. happens. <laughs> now, issue eight's already out, so I, I'm not being too spoilery no. here. But there's speaking of cinematic, the, the moment where it's the it, it's Hook and, and Peter and they're talking and sort of looking out that sort of arched window out out into into Paris, I guess it is. And where he says to me, rise above your fear, cast your own shadow. I mean, to me, that seems like it's, a, it's going to be a turning point. Am I overreading here, or is that going to be something that gets Peter, I don't want to say motivated, because um, well, I think he's okay. already motivated. So but... I will clear something up. That issue is not out yet, but that's, that's okay. Okay. Because uh, I've talked about it in interviews before. Uh, so issue nine is the one that's out on, oh, okay. on, the, on the 13th of February, but I have talked about this in interviews, so it's, it's cool. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, what we're this, this scene in issue nine. So what's happening is basically we're getting a very intense interrogation sequence between Peter and, and our version of Hook, and this this issue is the crux really of the entire arc of the of the rest of the series, and we're introducing some concepts that um, Peter and Hook share some very similar motivations, but how they go about it. And how it changes their worldview, and how they, you know, interact with them are very different, and that means that they will always be drawn uh, against each other. They're going to be each other's nemesis, and so mm-hmm. uh, we we add to the story. And this is a very dangerous issue, issue nine. Uh, as you guys have already read it, yeah. you see what what happens at the end of the story. Um, we, I actually had to call Tyler after I wrote that, that final <laughs> sequence because I was like, I don't know if we can do this. Like this, this might be too too much for this story because we've always wanted it to be like a lighthearted, you know, with with tones of sadness. But I mean, we really wanted to make sure that people knew who Hook is and what he's capable of. So we made Tyler's like, no, you made the right decision. This is this is the way we need to go with the story. And so, uh, yeah, I think we established pretty well where this is going to go and what the remaining, you know, up till issue 25, which is our long-term plan, uh, how Peter and Hook are always going to be drawn together. Excellent. Thanks. That's excellent. Um, I, I actually don't know if I've ever heard this from you in an interview, but what was your touchstone Peter Pan like adaptation? What's the thing that made you like fall in love with the story in the first place? Oh, I don't know. I've always loved it as, as a kid and growing up, um, even going back, even going back to like, um, like the the Disney show, I go back to it now, and I'm just like, there's there's such a good playfulness to it. And the the thing is, is that Peter actually isn't a, isn't a great hero. He's he's actually in the book and in you know in the movie and, and mo- like all the older adaptations, he's kind of he's mean spirited and he's very selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the people around him that kind of ground him and and keep him. I guess, yeah, they, they keep them level. Uh, so there's something really interesting about that, about how, you know, all these other people around him that he sees as very, like, normal and boring are actually the ones that really give him purpose. And and so I guess there's just so many themes of, like, you know, the good versus evil theme, and um, there's a bit of fantasy in there that he can fly and really interesting characters. And I don't know, it's it's a world that has always really appealed to me since as far back as I can remember. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I I mean, agree with you. When I was a kid, the Disney film um, and the Mary Martin, Mary Martin. Uh, like you know, filmed with, yeah. you know yeah. play or basically yeah. whatever it was. I remember I, I my parents used to put that on constantly when I was a kid. I was in Peter Pan oh, in yeah? uh, elementary school. Oh really? I was one of the Lost Boys. <laughs> nice. Yes. I don't remember which one. 
but I was definitely one of them. Yeah. And have been ever since. Absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I love the Disney movie, but then there's Hook. There's Hook as well. Oh. Oh, man. I was, and, oh, she, she, I think it's the first time she spoke. Yeah. yeah. Um, Peter Pan, the original classic Disney, comes out on Blu-ray the first Tuesday of next month. Oh, wow. It is the anniversary super deluxe edition. So huzzah for that. that. Peter Pan all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can't. I've actually had that question too, and a few people responded on Twitter there when I asked which character they want to see, and they're like, people said Rufio. I'm like, I cannot put Rufio, <laughs> Rufio. into the star. I would get my ass sued off by yeah. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a copyright Here's a quick thing, though, about Peter Pan's or Fost. Um, so I mean, in the North America, the copyright is up on it, but in the UK, the copyright still holds. Because all the funds go to the hospital, correct? Uh, like, not, no, it's not all the funds. It's like, it's it's an amount, yeah. But so kind of, this is, that has come up. And what we, in North America, which is predominantly where our sales are going to be anyway, um, it's not an issue. But really, at the end of the day, we're not making money on the book. <laughs> so it, it's, I don't know. I like if a TV show happens, we've already talked. Like, there's already been talk about what would happen if we adapted it into a TV show, and I mean, they would get the royalties that way. So, I'm, I was never too concerned about it. if the book was selling like Saga, then we then you know we'd have to obviously take it a bit more seriously in the UK. But you know, I don't know that we sell that many there anyway. Okay. And no one's no one's come after us yet. But if 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 someone does, I'm gonna blame you, Steph, because yeah. I know you just ratted me out. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. I'm, <laughs> I'm a ruiner. <laughs> no, maybe it can be in the next London Olympics opening ceremony. You know, yeah. Danny Boyle can put Peter Panzerfaust in there too with the giant Mary Poppins and nurses and things. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just jumped back onto the book, so I haven't read it in a while. But uh, is the crocodile or TikTok represented in any way? Uh, yes, it hasn't happened yet. Ah, uh, there it will. It's gonna it's, a, that's that's going to be one that people are going to have to wait for. Uh, I think it's going to be a dude uh, with a stopwatch. That's probably not going to come to quite a bit later. We've and this is the other one that people probably haven't noticed, but we do. We they have made an appearance already. The mermaids have already made an appearance in the book. <laughs> but most people don't recognize it. It's pretty subtle. It's a, it's an Easter egg. You have to kind of be aware of it. So <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, and one last listener question from Christian. He wants to know, I mean, obviously you're writing a lot. You're doing a lot. Are, are you reading anything? And if you are, what are, what are you reading? Oh yeah. I mean, I have been, it's, I actually haven't gotten my comics in like a little while, but I have read, what have I been reading recently? Um, I've come back is oh, one yeah. that I've been reading by Ed Brisson. Mm-hmm. And that is like a time travel story through Image. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but it's awesome. Yeah. And Mike, Ed's Michael a really... Walsh is doing the art, right? Yes, Michael Walsh is Everybody doing the art. It's a, it's a really great book. Ed's an awesome crime writer, but he's doing a time travel story that doesn't, it's not relying on time travel. It's actually a crime story that is complemented by by time travel. So it's, it's very good. Um, I read, you know, Saga like everybody else. Um, <laughs> what else have I been picking up, man? It's It's been a little while. I'm just trying to keep ahead of my own projects. Yeah. <laughs> it gets tough to be reading a lot sometimes when you're trying to create stuff, you know? Yeah, like, oh, man, I, I can't even remember. I just did a bought a big stack, and I just have not got to it yet. Um, well, I just read uh, Talon. 
Oh, DC. yeah. The, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I can't. I always get this question and I always like always blank on it. I, I have probably like <laughs> seven titles on my pull list, but I just blank on it every time. <laughs> um, and just one last question. Um, you know, this is kind of a, a stock question, but is there any characters, you know, in, in any of the, the big two that you, you're interested in, in tackling at any point? I've I've had this one idea for a Doctor Strange book for a while that I actually came up with uh, chatting with Riley. So it's something that we've been talking about for a while. So we're actually going to take that concept and do something on our own with it. So uh, that was the project that I was kind of briefly mentioning that we were planning on doing something together. Uh, that's something we're just starting to talk about right now. So yeah, I'd like to do Doctor Strange. Um, I think it'd be fun to do like a Wolverine story. I, I mean, I was able to do it a bit last year with that that holiday annual that I did. Right. Yeah. But but not to the, you know, to the degree that I would want. I mean, mm-hmm. it was basically Wolverine playing hockey. I mean, <laughs> that's Which is just kind of awesome. But I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see about the, like DC. There's some interesting characters there. I think that I'd. I mean, of course, anybody would love to do a Batman arc. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I think Swamp Thing would be pretty cool. Uh, it'd yeah. be a fun just to do like maybe a two or three issue horror series based on that. Maybe Animal Man, because mm-hmm. those are more a little bit up my sensibilities. I think they're those are more up my alley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- those all sound great. I yeah. mean, you should have seen Stephen I's face when you mentioned a Doctor Strange, you and Riley Rossimo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, something. Yeah, buy that book in a second. But um, no, awesome. Those are those are all great great things and i think that any of you writing nothing would be amazing um all right so uh again we got uh peter panzerfaust number nine is coming uh in february you said the 12th i think it's the 13th 13th i'm okay. not uh, let me you know what let me really check here real quick we may as well get this information right yeah february 13th okay uh issue nine and then we've actually a lot of people who follow the series know that we have been there's been quite a span between like issues six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just kind of some personal stuff that I was going through that I wasn't able to write it. But we're back on schedule now, so you know there's only a month between eight and nine. There's going to only be a month between nine and ten. We're taking a short break. Uh, we're going to be doing that every five issues, every every arc. We're going to be taking probably a two or three month break. We'll release the trade, and then we'll do another five, and then take a break just so that we can get caught up and we can do other work to make money uh, to continue doing it. Cause we, I've, I recently did a, a post on my blog. You can go to my blog. It's uh curtisweave.wordpress.com. I did a post about how we're going to do the book right to the end, regardless of sales. And I explained why we had to make that decision. So if you want to know why you can just go to my site and read that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're just, we're doing, we're pacing it in a way that we're able to still do it right to the end uh, without, you know, sacrificing any of the, of the story that we have planned. Great. Awesome. And the, obviously you said the first trade of Peter Panzer Faust has been available for a while and you can get that comic retailers, comicsology, Amazon. Um, so pick that guy, pick that up if you guys are interested in, um, in checking out Peter Panzer Faust, which we recommend that you do. Uh, and also, uh, Curtis, uh, you have a Twitter, correct? Yeah, it's at Curtis J. Weeb. All right. Great. Um, yeah. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was great to have you back and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, maybe next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly a year and like two weeks from now, we'll have another discussion. Um, and it'll be great. All right. Thank Sounds you so good. much, Curtis. See you later, Curtis. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, see ya. Bye-bye.